Now, this topic on providence, it's often uh, very confusing to many Christians. Providence, what is it exactly? So there are seven paragraphs in the Westminster Confession of Faith. So we'll go through. I hope we can finish them tonight. If we can't, we'll split it into two sections, but we aim to finish it tonight. Now look at your notes I've printed for you. Um, that's taken from our BBK book as well. And the question sheet. Now notice that for every paragraph, I will put paragraph one, colon, and then a space. Okay, that is for you to add a certain word. What I'm trying to do is for these seven paragraphs to try and tell you what each paragraph is trying to cover about God's providence, all right? So that when you finish this paragraph, uh, finish this chapter, you know roughly which paragraph, what is it talking about? Which aspect is it talking about regarding God's providence? All right, so paragraph number one. Shall we read paragraph number one together first? Reading, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures actions and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible knowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom power justice goodness and mercy now well for those who are new visitors you may wonder what this is about. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith is this group of men that God used to describe in the confession of what the Christian faith is about. All right, so this is not God's word, but every statement that they make is taken and supported by God's word. All right, so this is about what God is trying to say throughout the Bible about this topic on providence. So these men, they wrote this, but each statement is drawn from the bible itself okay so now let's try and split up this paragraph and try and understand several things now paragraph number one is about what so you write next to the on the blank what it describes what is god's providence all right paragraph one describes what is god's providence now let me ask you actually if you just read like that it's a long statement right just randomly ask any of you so having read this, what is God's providence? Can anyone say? What is God's providence? Anyone want to try? I think too, too early in the session to put you on the spot. Now we'll warm up a bit, but now you look at this statement that says, by his most wise and holy providence, right? That's where the word providence comes. Now by, circle that word by, all right, by. By his most wise and providence. So, what is God's providence? I ask you question number one. What is God's providence? Now, God's providence is by which He does something. That's why it's by His most wise and holy providence. So, what does God's providence do? Here, the Westminster very wisely takes from the Bible, describes to us. What does God's providence do? Number one, it upholds direct, uh, sorry, it upholds all things. Upholds all things means it keeps things running, upholds. Nothing is dropped, all right? So God's providence does that, by which you say by, so he does that. Number two, it directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things. This is the second thing it does. 
it, dis- it directs, disposes, and governs all things. Oh, sorry, all creatures, actions, and things. So that is what it does. So someone asks you, what, what does God's providence do? God's providence upholds, keeps things going, direct, dispose, and govern means he is controlling. All right? If someone directs, dispose means he gets rid of, and governs means he is the ruler. So God is in control. That is what it means. God is controlling. And it says controlling that now I ask you the next question. What does it cover? All right. To what extent does God uphold and control and governs? To what extent? All creatures, actions and things means nothing is left out. God's upholding, God's directing, disposing and governing covers everything. Living, inanimate, animate, nature is all under his direct disposal, direct control. Okay? So what does God's providence do? That is what it does. And then it says the next thing. Now, to what extent? The next is um, from the greatest even to the least. God's providence from the greatest to the least. What does this mean? It means that no event is too big or too small for God's providence. Number one. Now it says all creatures, right? God is not only providentially helping or controlling the rich people, the good people, the kind people, but it says all, even the greatest to the least, whether you're rich and famous or whether the world doesn't know who you are. God's providence is involved in your life, okay, including events. Say God's providence includes me not falling off the cliff. Does God's providence include you having a normal day, greatest to the least? Um, Does God's providence only include things that, oh, I avoided an accident? Or does God's providence also include simply you're sitting there, breathing? God's providence includes all things. All right, all things means all things. Okay, so we have um, some Bible verses there. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter one, uh, chapter one, verse three. All right, Hebrews chapter one, verse three. So they don't make it up; they take it from scriptures. Shall we read Hebrews chapter one, verse three together? Okay, reading, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sin and sat on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, so here is where the Westminster Divine take this definition from. He uphold all things by the word of his power. So God is the one who's upholding and when he had himself purged ourselves and sat down on the right hand of God, God is still on the throne. God has always been on the throne. God will always be on the throne. Upholding, directing all things by his power. 
Okay, so that is what God's providence does. Now, there is this definition of God's decree. Do you remember God's decree? I encourage you, strongly encourage you to file punch holes when you go back, file them and bring them every week. All right? Put them in a file. Because one day people are going to ask you questions, like when you go for all day. <laughs> all right? Difficult question. How come God allows sufferings? Then you're going to turn to providence and explain. Okay, so I encourage you to take your notes and keep it. Now, decrees, God decrees. Do you remember God's decree? Let me read to you. Now, God's decree from chapter 3, paragraph 1. God from all eternity did by his most wise and holy counsel of his own free will, freely and unchangeably, his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever come to pass. Now, God has ordained whatsoever come to pass. In other words, God has decreed, God has decided, God has purpose, and God has, God has ensured that everything that will come to pass is His decree. Means He decided. There's nothing outside that happens that is not decided by God. Alright, that's God's decree, and we got the definition as we saw the other week. And then it says this. Um, yeah. Yet, no, this is the main focus. That he has ordained whatsoever come to pass. Whatsoever. Whether you get married, you don't get married. Whether you will have children, no children. How many children, who you will marry. Where you will live, what you will work as. When you will die. Everything. Whether you be healthy or sick. Any event that occurs in your life in someone else's life, in this whole world, who becomes president? Who will not become president? That's a big debate now, right? Now, all this are under God's decree. He has ordained all things whatsoever. Now, if God has decreed all things, then it means that in His decree, providence is involved in all those decrees. In everything that God has decreed, His providence is involved to make sure that those decrees come to pass. Understand? Okay, so that is, that is what it is. That is why in everything in this world, God's providence is involved. Okay, so now that is what we want to understand, first of all. So smallest, now I ask you, even to the, the smallest humdrum events, yes. The smallest, most um, uneventful thing that occurs. I woke up and I brushed my teeth. <laughs> you say, is that God's providence? How is God's providence involved? Rachel, you know, often we say, I'm come, I was going to church, and then, you know, when I was crossing the road, then the car almost knocked me, and then God just uh, moved me, and then I realized, oh, car is coming, and I stopped, and it just passed inches away from my body. A teenager actually just shared that, <laughs> right, a um, few months back. Right, you say I was I was walking and then this I was dreaming and then this car just went past me. Oh God's providence, I did not get knocked down. I would have been paralyzed or I might die. Alright, so the teenager said, Wow, that was God's providence. So Rachel, you got up and brushed your teeth this morning. I'm sure you did. <laughs> Is that God's providence? In what sense? Okay. Or you forget to do something, or you did do something. Right, so God's providence is involved in every event in our life. You must understand that. The Bible tells us so. Upholding, 
all things. Because he have decreed all things means he's involved in all things. Understand that? Now, how is, how is God's providence involved in you brushing teeth? I'll tell you a story. Now, someone shared this, and I think it's a good illustration. This man went to see a doctor, and he told the doctor, Doctor, I have to tell you something. Amazing happened to me. I was going, I was going around this mountainside and going around this bend, and then my horse fell off the edge of the cliff. And then just as the horse fell off, and then it dragged my um, cart off as well. But somehow I got thrown out and to safety on the other side of the cliff. And my horse and my cart went down deep into the ravine, never to be seen again. What, what providence was it in, God, in, God, in God's way and keeping me on that very moment and kept me alive? You know, I have these little scratches only, I came to see you. Then the doctor said this. Well, I have a more amazing thing to tell you. Then he said, what? What is that? Every day I go the same route as you, through that windy path, and every day I'm here. And then the man was like, yeah, so? Did anything spectacular happen to you? No, every day I'm here. He simply said, God's providence is not only when something, we get delivered from a major accident. God's providence is involved. The fact that you did not even meet an accident. God is providentially keeping you so smoothly all day long. Understand that? The fact that you can brush your teeth, you realize your wrist is moving. <laughs> you realize that, oh, I'm out of bed. I could be bedridden. Well, less, less, less terrible is I remember to brush my teeth, I don't have bad breath when I meet my colleague. <laughs> you know? So God's providence is not just major things. It's involved in everything. Everything. In fact, the more humdrum your life is, it could be that God's providence has been more marvellous that you didn't meet anything spectacular and you go, go on with your life normally. Right? So this is what God's providence, it covers all things. That is what it is. God is always directing, disposing and upholding. You must know that. And I ask you the next question. Now, what are the characteristics of God's providence then? Now we know God's providence is involved in everything. Now the question is, what are the characteristics? Who want to try? What are the characteristics? Is there? Uh, uh, Jung? What are the characteristics of his providence? Um, I think it's characterized by God. Okay, yep, some of them are there. But you see, by, the statement is by his most wise and holy providence. What characterizes this providence is it is holy, it is wise. Okay? It is very wise. It means this. Since God's providence is involved in everything, good, bad, bad in our eyes. Now, sometimes some things seem to be bad in our eyes. Someone falls very sick and may lose a limb. Is God's providence involved? We know, right? We have just looked at scriptures. God said, upholding, directing all things on the throne. Now, if a person loses a limb, to human, it looks bad. It looks bad. Then we begin to question the wisdom of God. Should we question the wisdom of God? What's the definition of God? God is a spirit, infinite. All right? Now, God is a spirit, infinite and eternal in his what? Being wisdom. God is infinite in his wisdom. 
In our eyes, we may see that that event seems, oh, it doesn't look wise. God, is it wise that this providence is providence that you would make the person lose a limb? The Bible tells us that God in his most wise providence handles all things. Look at um, point number four, Proverbs 15.3. Shall we turn to Proverbs 15.3? most wise and holy not just wise but holy means it's without sin okay now the eyes of the lord are in every place nothing escapes him beholding evil and good so god is always involved in both evil and good he beholds he sees and he's the most holy god Okay, we are going to develop this a bit more later on. Then we also um, look at Psalm 104. Just the book before that. Psalm 104. So God is all wise. He knows all things. He sees evil and good. But yet, He is always working. Psalm 104 verse 24. Okay, now here it says, verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom thou hast made them all, and the earth is full of thy riches. Now, God's, God's view, God is viewing good and evil all the time. He's involved, seeing them, seeing the people involved as in he sees good and evil. But yet the psalmist says that in wisdom thou hast, thou hast made them all. So he said, oh, if God has, has God made evil, we'll see that later. But here, the Westminster divines make it very clear. He's involved in all and is most holy and wise. Would you question God's wisdom, God's holiness? He's infinite in his holiness. What is this? What the lessons we should learn here is, my friends, whenever something happens, don't think that you and I, as finite human beings, know what is best. Okay, so turn also to um, Romans 11.33. The reason why I want you to read these verses is I want you to see from scriptures what God says about himself. Alright, Romans 11.33. Romans 11.33. Now here the Bible tells us, God's word tells us, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. We can never fully understand as finite human creatures God's ways. That is something you must settle in your heart. Okay, otherwise you will always question God's wisdom and God's holiness. The Bible tells us this, that God's ways are beyond us. In fact, Isaiah 55 verse 9. Isaiah 55 verse 9. Alright, so Isaiah 59 verse 9 is a verse that we always quote and as part of our memory verse, but does it sink into our hearts? Isaiah 59 verse 9. 
Shall we read this together? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now this is one thing that we have to truly settle in our hearts also. Isaiah 55 verse 9. How high is the heaven above the earth? We can't even know. Um, then say, God says, that is my ways. That, those are my thoughts. How God thinks, what God does, is way beyond what we would think as, would consider as wise. His wisdom is infinitely above ours. Okay, so whenever we talk about God's wisdom, there's one thing that must come into play. The thing that must come into play is, sorry, God's providence, is that God is all-wise, God is all-holy, that characterizes His providence. Whenever anything happens, do not murmur. What is the value of learning this? The value of knowing that God's providence is most wise and most holy, what does it do to a Christian? It makes your brain bigger. <laughs> it makes you able to explain things. No. When you know that, then you walk. Then you kick your little toe. <laughs> then it breaks. You're in pain. Then you complain. No, God's providence is involved. He's most wise, most holy. He allowed it to happen. You have a very difficult colleague at work, just giving you all sorts of difficulty. Do you complain? You say, God, by His providence, has led you to this workplace. It's most wise, most holy. Nothing sinful in what God does. Or maybe something terrible happens in your family. And then... You are tempted to murmur. Maybe you have a difficult child. Maybe you have a difficult um, um, loved one. God's providence is involved. His wise is holy. We'll see later what it does to you and I. So we don't complain. All right? I began to learn that as I do more and more about God's decrees and providence. Something happened, I stopped complaining. God has His purposes. Okay? Because His wise is holy. Now, next is, even better, according to his infinite knowledge. Alright, so I'll ask you the next question. According to what? 1C, 1C. According to what does God base his work of providence? According to what? So we say God is wise, God is holy. How does God decide what to do in his providence? How? Here, according to his infallible knowledge. Now, that is how he decides. His infallible knowledge. What is infallible? Cannot make mistakes. Infallible means God cannot make any mistakes. God's knowledge is without mistake. When you think about God's providence, then you say, how did God decide to let this happen? According to his infallible knowledge. Now, why would God's knowledge be infallible? Hmm. We studied that. Why would God's knowledge be infallible? Ben, want to try? He's all-knowing. Now, yes, God is all-knowing. That refers to his omni, omniscience. The word omniscient means God sees all, knows all. Now, how does God see all and know all? So this is providence, right? God is going to decide something for your life. God is going to decide something for this world. God is and He is involved in everything, right? 
How does he decide based it's infallible knowledge? How come God's knowledge is infallible? Well, there are many reasons. One of it is because of his decrees. Who decreed all things? God, right? Means he knows exactly what will happen in the future, right? God is omniscient, he sees the future. He sees the future not as in he's trying to figure out and extrapolate and forecast. No, God knows exactly. All right, he's God, he's omniscient. Because he knows exactly what is going to happen, because he decreed all things. That's why his knowledge is infallible. He never makes mistakes. Oh no, I didn't know this would turn out this way. That's us, right? We go out, we cook something, and then we thought we were infallible. We thought, oh, everything measured. Then you put in and still turn out wrong. Oh no, I forgot something. That is not God. God is infallible, never makes any mistakes, knows the future. Nothing escapes him because he's God. And when you know that, anything that befalls your life, God has already known, God has already foreordained, God has already decreed. Do you complain? No, because you know it is the best. What does infallible knowledge do to a Christian's prayer? You pray and pray and pray and pray and then nothing happens. Then you say, God, are you hearing my prayer? God sometimes does not answer our prayer. Then you say, God, but that is so good for me. I want this in my life or this person or this thing or this job. It would turn out so good for me. God, why don't you hear my prayer and answer it? Why? Because God is infallible in his knowledge. By his providence, he, does, he knows that if he gives you that thing, it is going to ruin your life, then he withholds it. So when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want him to answer your prayer, he has already answered your prayer. By his providence, he does not give you what would be bad for your life. You may, it may look some, like something that is in your wisdom the best, but God knows best. You must believe that. You say, oh, I've been planning for this, I've been planning for that, everything is about to happen. Then, God, you stopped it. Why? It did not go through. Why? God's providence is involved. Understand that? So, knowing all these definitions are very good for us. Very, very good for us. So, God's foreknowledge. Okay, and next is the free, look at your notes, the free immutable counsel of His will. What is free and immutable? God is free. God does not answer to anyone. God freely decides in his own will. Do you like such a decision? You go to someone and say, can you help me with this? Actually, we are human beings. With human, we like that. Can you tell me exactly what to do? And just tell me. And you hope that it will all turn out right. right? You go and ask the person. Then the person tells you, um, I better not tell you because I, I am not very sure. What I ask you to do may turn out wrong. Then you go away feeling so sad. But do you know that God, who is infallible, infinite, holy, wise, He has willed, in other words, have decided everything providentially for you. Isn't that wonderful? Who wants to have someone who decides everything for, his, for him or her for his life? And know that everything will turn out to be the best. Best. Not you think best, but what is really best. Right, parents, you know, right? Your children want, want to 
they want to eat a lot of McDonald's. To them, that's best. I mean, really. Oh, I, maybe I should have said that word. Maybe tonight they want to go now, the kids. All right? What a, to a five-year-old kid, what is bad about McDonald's? It's the best thing on earth. Right? So to the kid, it's like, McDonald's. Again, McDonald's. But what do you say? No, McDonald's is bad for you. They'll scratch your head. Bad? Mom, what, what have you been eating? McDonald's, it tastes so good, so nice. But you know. And then you say, I am wiser than you. And then the kids say what? How can it be? You know, you don't know it. You don't know what is good food. That is how we are with God. We think it's best. But you must realize that God is infinite in his wisdom. When he knows his best and he has willed it for this world for you, it is really the best. Isn't it so good? So wonderful to have such a God. Now next, all right, so he said immutable counsel means it will not change. It will not change. Know that God's providence will not change because his decrees won't change. So now I'll ask you the last part about paragraph one. What should our reaction be towards God's providence? So you know all this. You know what God's providence does, you know what it covers, you know his characteristics, you know what he, how he wills it, but now, what should your reaction be? Here, the Westminster Divines rightly say, last statement, paragraph 1, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. God's providence, what is the purpose? The end purpose is that men will praise him for his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Men will praise him and give him glory. So my friend, instead of complaining, instead of murmuring, instead of doubting, instead of um, um, griping, give God the glory. Praise Him. Tell God, even if something in your mind is not good, happening in your family, in your own life, in the world, you just say, God, you are the all-wise God. You, in your providence, have allowed it. I praise you. You are the most wise God. You are the most powerful God. You're always a just God. It is fair. You're good. You're merciful. God, I may not understand, but I praise you. I praise you for it. We are going to, I'm going to ask you one event in the Bible later on. Can you think of an event that is like that? where it all looked pretty bad, very unfair, very unjust, very terrible, very unwise. But in the end, the person actually gave glory to God. All right? So you think about it. We'll come to that later. Just think about it. So this is the what. The what. So I ask you in 1C, 1D, should Christians say, luckily, you know, just now I was crossing the road, wow, luckily I, I happened to look across the road and I saw the car coming. If not, I will be knocked down. Luckily, you know, luckily I sent my kids to this school. Luckily, I made this decision. Luckily, is there luck in the believer's life? No such thing as luck. Providence. Is there luck in the unbeliever's life? The same. God is in control of both believers and unbelievers. For them, whatever happened, it's also providence. But of course, they won't attribute it to providence because they don't believe in the existence of a God. So they say luck, luck, right? So we must get rid of this word luckily from our vocabulary. Why? Why? Why should we get rid of it? Douglas. 
Yeah, so we should not, we, we know it's God's providence. So when we say luckily, what are we really saying? Anita, you, you said something. Say again. By God's will. Well, that is what we would say. That's right, that's the next part. But why should the Christian really stop saying luckily? Rowena. Takes away the glory from God, right? Because the purpose of God's providence is to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness and mercy. When we say luckily, it means we say, the lucky stars are shining on me. It has nothing to do with God. God was the one who delivered you. God was the one who helped you. Not lucky stars. Alright? Then you take away the glory from God. Yeah, so I ask the next question. So what should we replace it with? The next time you have another BPCWA say to you, Wow, luckily today I went to work. Or luckily I didn't go to work. So what do you help each other to remember? What word would you use? Just now, Anita said, Well, God's will, right? According to God's will. Anything else? Hmm? Huh? Thank God. Yes, thank God. Thank God I didn't go to work today. Thank God. Bring God into the picture. You should thank Him. What else? What else can you say? Say again. Praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank God. Yeah, praise the Lord that I didn't go to work. Praise Him. They said praise to the praise of His glory, of His wisdom. In God's wisdom, He made me stay at home. Then when the, when the robber came, I was at home. Is that a good thing? <laughs> um, so praise the Lord. What else? What are we studying? The topic is called providence. Providentially. Right? Providentially. But I think you got very good works. Thank God. Praise the Lord. At least it's very clear that it's God. Alright, so let's try and change our vocabulary. Sometimes I still hear us saying, luckily, luckily, it takes away glory from God. Not that I'm trying to be funny with you. Don't say luckily. The reason why I want us to be very aware of this is because it takes away the glory from God when He works in your life. Alright? Okay, so next. Now that is the what. Now paragraph 2. Paragraph 2 is the how. How. Alright, we talk about the what. Now we talk about the how. Okay, let's read paragraph 2 together. Although, in, let's, in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet, by the same providence, He ordereth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. Now, what does this mean? Now, this paragraph 2 and 3 is going to describe how God's providence works. How God works in His providence. Okay? How? Now, let's look at it. First of all, we have to define what is first cause and second cause. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause. So the first statement says, now, now, we have just studied that according to the foreknowledge and decrees of God, God decreed and God knew what was going to happen. He worked His providence, right? That is what He said. And He said, God is the first cause. God is the first cause. What is first cause? First cause is the first thing or person that caused something to happen. That's it. First cause. God caused all things to happen. Bottom line. He's the first person that causes things to happen. Now, and causes all things to come to pass. So everything that comes to pass, immutably, infallibly, means it will not change. It will definitely happen. It will not fail. Who makes that happen? God. Right? Okay? 
God is the first cause. And then it says, yet by the same providence, the same providence, we are still talking about the same topic, the providence of God. He ordereth them to fall out, means to occur, according to the nature of second causes. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean when God causes things to happen according to second causes? So, here we are saying, we definitely know God is the one who caused all things to happen. God is providentially involved in all things. But here, the Bible tells us that there are, God, God also uses second causes to execute His providence. What is second cause? Second cause means another cause. can be person, event, nature or thing. A second cause. Okay? Um, can you think of anything like God would, God would want God's decree, God's first cause. Now God would need the Lord Jesus Christ to come to earth to die for our sins. That's God's decree. If the Lord Jesus doesn't come, then we have no one to take our place for our sins. And then our sins is upon us and we have no hope for eternity. Right? So the Lord Jesus Christ must come. God is the first cause. Now, but the Lord Jesus coming alone, is that enough? No, the Lord must obey perfectly and the Lord must die. Right? The Lord Jesus must be crucified in our place, die for our sins. He must die. Now, did God himself cause Jesus to die? Who, who nailed Jesus to the cross? Hmm? The Jews, right? The Roman soldiers, the Jews who betrayed Christ. Judas. Now, so, did God want, God want Jesus to die for our sins? First cause. Now, did God himself kill Jesus? No. The second causes were who? Judas, the Jews, the Romans, who hated the Lord, right? There are second causes. Is God's providence involved in our salvation? Of course, God provided salvation for us. But He used, He worked His providence through secondary causes. Second, alright? That's what it means. So we must know that God uh, works through that. Now, according to the nature of second causes, what is the nature of second causes? God knows the nature of men. God knows the nature of Judas. God knows the nature of the Jews. God knows the nature of sinful Romans who hate God. God knows the nature. And He would actually use the nature of these second causes to cause His providence to come to pass. Okay, so God works through secondary causes. That's an example. Now, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. Necessarily means, now it's necessary. God ordained that it will be, men will be used. That will be through men. Freely, alright, it's up to God. Contingently means it appears to depend on something. So God can use secondary causes um, contingently. It looks like he depends on them but he really don't, but he uses them because he, use, he knows their nature. Okay? So that is what it means. Now, so the next how. Alright? Number three, the next how. Now, so now we understand that the next how. Now, the next how. God in his ordinary providence, let's read together. God in his ordinary providence 
maketh use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. Now, what does this mean? It clarifies further. God uses secondary means. Now, God in his ordinary providence. What is the meaning of ordinary providence? Okay, makes use of the means. Um, ordinary providence, it's God providing through ordinary means. What is ordinary means? Maybe we look at an example in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 27. All right, point number 10, right? Acts chapter 27. Like I said, I won't have time to go through all the verses. Please read through those verses yourself. Acts chapter 27. Verse 31. Let's read together. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Now remember this was the shipwreck. And Paul stood up and said, The people were frightened. They wanted to jump off the ship. And then Paul says, Don't jump off the ship. Except you stay in this ship, you will die. Right? Paul is also seasoned. He knows the weather. He knows that in that situation, the sailors jump off, they will die. Okay? So Paul said, Please stay in the ship, otherwise you will die. Now, God providentially would use this ship to save every single one of them. God used that providence. Now, if the people, now is this ordinary providence? Ordinary, right? Don't jump out of the car when it's on the highway or else you will die. Then you will say, wow. They say, yes, that's normal. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that when the ship is in the middle of a massive storm, jumping into the sea is a stupid thing to do. Ordinary providence. So God works through ordinary means. All right, don't say God or oh God. I want to test God's providence. While the car is going at 80 kilometers per hour down Quinana Highway, I want to jump out and see how God's providence will save me. God said, I use ordinary providence. You stay in the car, you stay alive. All right, that's ordinary providence. So God uses ordinary providence and he makes use of means. Means. What are the means? In this case, the ship. What are the means? The car, you're safe in the car. What are the means? Stay in the house at night, it's safe ordinary means but even when God used the ordinary means yet he is free to work without it what is without God's ordinary providence yes he works through ordinary providence but he does not depend on it if you um, and in other words well the passage there describes this God say I will save Israel without bows and arrows now, if Israel is under attack, what do they need to do? Ordinarily, they need to go to battle, right? Take bows and arrows, go and fight. But God say, in this situation, I'm going to save Israel without bows and arrows. Means outside ordinary means. God is going to work a miracle. So although God uses ordinary means, it does not mean he will always, he is bound by it and he don't have a choice. Oh no, if the ship happens to crash into a rock, and then, oh no, I can't save them. No, not true. Okay? God, although he uses the ship, he uses the people, he uses people can use bow and arrow, but it does not mean God must always use those means. Now, above, what is above? Above means beyond the norm. Beyond the norm. Can you think of a case that is very beyond the norm when it came to giving birth? Hmm. Who? Very old already. Still can give birth. 
Sarah, right? Sarah. Now, is it ordinary means? God intended that they would have um, Israel through Sarah. Is it an ordinary means for someone so old to give birth? Not ordinary. So God can work through ordinary means. He can work above ordinary means as well. Okay, now next. And against them. Against them. Okay, against them. Against them means, also means supernatural. Against normal nature. Supernatural. Can you think of a supernatural event in the Bible where someone walks through fire or stays, gets thrown into fire and then after that survives not a single stitch of clothes burn? Hmm? Daniel's friends, right? Not a single, Daniel, not a single thing happened to him. Hair not burnt at all. Don't try that at home. <laughs> Alright, so can God work against what is normal? It's normal that someone who is thrown into a fire furnace, like God's prophet, will be burned. Abnormal. Abnormal. Lions won't eat up his friends. Abnormal. But will eat up the soldiers. Alright, so all abnormal. God can work against this at his pleasure, up to him. Okay, up to him. Okay, so now. Um, Does it mean that God must always use miracles? All right, he has shown to us, God by and large uses ordinary means. Don't jump out of the boat. All right, um, ordinary means, by and large. But God can work beyond ordinary means. Do we clamor and crave for miracles all the time? Do we think that if there's no miracle means God's providence is not working? No. Like we said, the fact that you are sitting here. God's providence probably worked harder at keeping you all healthy, coming, listening to God's word and going home. When actually you should have fallen very, very ill when you were bitten by, uh, what mosquito are those called? Bad mosquito out there and fallen very sick. You didn't even know. You were walking, walking. The mosquito came with that disease about to bite you and then God moved it away. Just that you don't know. Does it mean God's Miraculous providence is the only time when you see God's, miracle, God's providence working? No. God works through ordinary means. That's why the clamoring of many movements today say, we want miracles, we must show people miracles in order for people to believe. That is not God. Why are we studying this? We are studying this to know who God is. You don't arm this God. God, you must show miracles. Did God show miracles? Yes, He did. Does He always show miracles? No. Okay, He works through both means. So we don't clamor um, for God's miracles all the time. Okay, so by and large, God works through His ordinary means. In fact, you see in the New Testament, after a certain period, you do not see any more miracles. God just worked through ordinary means. All right? Today, we depend on God's Word, not miracles. Because God already said, in the end times, what will happen? Satan will arise, there will be many false prophets, and they will perform many signs and wonders, insomuch that it were possible to deceive the very elect. The end times will be a times when Satan will do his best, utmost, to deceive men into believing in him. All right? So, so here, God works through both means. So, I ask a question here, paragraph 2. 
Now, point number C. Alright, so how does God execute His providence? B, directly Himself or through secondary causes. Now, what is deism? Anyone knows? What is deism? Um, who wants to try? Uncle Mark, you want to try? Deism. Yeah, but first it's saying that God did create, after He created, He left the world to itself. That's correct. So deism is God the Creator created the world and then He left it alone to function by itself. He left it alone till one day He will come back. That is deism. All right? Deism is the concept of a clockmaker. A, a person who made a clock, he wound it up and then he went away and let the clock run by itself. We have just studied and we've seen scriptures, God upholds all things, right? He sits on the throne now, present tense. So, deism is absolutely contrary to providence. Understand that? So don't believe in deism. That is the problem with those that do not believe that God has preserved His Word. They do not know that they have been influenced by the philosophy of deism. Not believing in God preserving His Word means this. God inspired His Word. He gave us His Word. And then He left it as that and He left it alone. He went away and then the Word slowly got lost in history of mankind. Understand that? So that is why not believing in preservation is, is the most, is the ultimate form of deism. God gave us his word and he left it alone and it's got lost, some of it. And now we must find it ourselves. So deism has, pervade, has pervasive in many thinking of Christians. Okay, so now that is the how. Now I ask you another question. Um, Question number one, uh, 2D. 2D. Now, so there are secondary causes, right? Means men choose. Men do something. Now, this is that very difficult question, which um, someone asked me recently also. Um, he asked, Does, has God decreed all things, both big and small? Everything, even the smallest thing. Now, then we have here... It's very clear, God works through secondary means. God can use human beings, right? And human beings, as we studied in the decrees of man, decrees of God, sorry, God does not, although He decree, He does not um, violate the will of man. Let me read to you, alright? What does it say? God has decreed and ordained, God has unchangeably ordained whatsoever to come to pass. And then it says, God is not the author of sin, nor violence is offered to the will of creatures, nor the liberty of, or contingency of second causes taken away. Now, it says this, God decree all things. Alright, I think Shirley asked the question. Does God decree both big and small? We just studied decrees. God decreed whatsoever to come to pass. That's in the Bible. It means every single thing is decreed by God. Alright, but then how do you explain when men make choices? But yet God makes uses men to fulfill his will. So I ask you this question in 2D. Will the choice of second causes affect what God has decreed? Will it affect? Will it thwart God's providence? Hmm? Then what about free will? Aren't I a robot? I'm a robot. 
God decreed all things. All things will happen according to His plan. So I'm a robot. But yet we know in the Bible, God does not violate the will of man. How to explain that? Maybe we cover that in the next part. Okay, in the next part, in question number four. Okay, so first of all, we must know very clearly, man's choice will not thwart God's providence. Okay, when we see a verse later on about God's working. Okay, so now what do we learn about God's providence and human responsibility? What do we learn? We know that God uses second causes. We could be a second cause. So there is human responsibility in God's providence. You cannot live a life like that. Huh? God's providence will always work out for good. So um, I'll just do whatever I want. In the end, God's providence will still achieve His purposes. And then we just be um, passive. God's providence for someone to be saved. The person will be saved, right? God's providence for Anita to come tonight. <laughs> Anita will come. So Anita, we study providence. Tonight you're here. It's not by chance. It's God's providence. That we will meet her and she will be here. Alright? So we should not bother to put in announcement. Why bother to put in announcement? Come for all day. Come and pray. If you can't come, pray for all day. When you're there, don't hide under the tent. Go out in the sun and talk to people. No, God's providence, right? God will take care of all things. You see, God uses secondary causes. We are part of participating in His providence. So there's human responsibility. Okay? The joke always... Uh, I won't tell this joke, anyway. But don't complain all the time. If there's something that you say, ah, this and that... If God's providence is that he's, you should work, you work, you do something. Alright? So you must do your part. And God will use that. What if you don't do your part? Hmm? God will use others. God's final purpose will always be achieved. You have just lost your opportunity to participate in God's work in your life. Eh? It sounds contradicting, right? So someone's shaking their head. Eh, doesn't, that doesn't look right. Now, has God decreed all things? Hmm? God has decreed all things. So, everything that you do is decreed. Okay? So, I want to answer Shirlene's question. Um, does God decree all things? I mean, everything that I do, both big and small. Yes. I want to be very sure, very clear. God decreed all things. Because as we study decrees, and providence means God is involved in um, all creatures' actions and things from greatest to the least, every event, right? Then if that's the case, if God decreed all things, I should do it, but I didn't, but then someone else, then did God decree that I do it or not? Which one? Now this is the question and this is the thing that we must be very clear in our minds. So if God decreed all things, that I should have spoken to Anita, but I didn't. I was lazy. I stayed in the shade. Alright? 
And then someone else went to talk to Anita instead. So who did God decree to speak to Anita? Was it me or someone else? Who? <laughs> because God decreed all things, right? Now, one thing that we are confused with is God's will. God's will. How many kinds or aspects of God's will do we see in the Bible? We did that. Seven. Remember we did sevenfold will of God? What is God's decree? God's decree is God's will for something to happen. Right? God's will. Our concept of God's decree and God's will is onefold. Alright? Onefold. One of the will of God, remember it is about God's God wants something, but you don't do it. Or it allows something to happen. What is it called? You don't want to go and talk? God allowed it. It's called? It starts with P. Permissive will. Permissive will. Remember that it's God's permissive will. Okay? That's why when, when you don't read scriptures and understand God's will very clearly, you make very wrong decisions in life and you get very confused about God. That is God's permissive will. In God's de- you will never run out of God's will. Remember? You either do God's will or you do God's permissive will or you end up in God's the will that you don't want to be in. It's called what? Chastative will. means God will chastise you. We will see in point number five. God will chastise you. They're all God's decretive will. It's God's will. God has decreed all things. So God's decree is when He permits you to do that, you lose the blessing. You get into trouble. Has God decreed that you will um, sin? Do something evil? Has God decreed that you will steal and then get caught as a Christian and then you end up in a newspaper? Has God decreed that? But yet it is in God's will. Which will? Permissive and chastative will. Understand that? It's still in God's decree. God has decreed that if you walk into this permissive and, de- and will, you will end up in this chastative will. Understand that? So today, you don't want to speak to the someone. You, you, do, you, you fulfill this permissive will. You go, you, God permits you to be lazy. You don't do it. You miss the blessing. That's it. Okay? Will Anita not end up being here? No, she will still be here. God's providence will never be thwarted by your decisions. Understand that? Now, that is why God is all-wise and infinitely powerful. No matter what you do, God's will will still be done. Understand that? Okay? So, God is always in control because He decreed all things. Now, now point number four is the interesting one. Alright, so point number four. I should still say this. Um, sometimes we think it's God's will for me um, to have something happen in my life and there's human responsibility for us to do it and we don't do it. Then we enter into what will? Permissive will. And we still do not turn back we end in chastative will. Okay, so please remember that. But it is still in God's decree. Can't run away. Point number four. Let's read point number four together quickly. The almighty 
power, unsearchable wisdom and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in His providence that it extendeth itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men and that not be a bare permission but such as hath joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends yet so as the sinfulness thereof proceedeth only from the creature and not from god who being most holy righteous neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin okay now what is this paragraph saying this is about the how still how god executes his providence now in god's almighty power and deep unsearchable wisdom and infinite goodness his providence is involved in all things even in the first fall adam's fall all right god knew about adam's fall and he permitted it so is in that sense is is it god's decree god permissive will allowed adam to fall and god knew adam would choose god did not try and create adam and i just hope adam will make the right choice let's see what adam would do no god already knew all right so this is what is very clear in scriptures god knows otherwise he's not god because there's this new theology i keep telling you right it's called um well basically it's the new theology that god doesn't really know all the future he's still guessing it depends on what you choose and what you do then he needs to figure out what to do next that is not the god that we worship right god is the infinite he foreordained all things before he even created this world before time even began to exist he already knew the end from the beginning he decreed it all right he permitted so the fall of angels and all the sins of angels the angels sin turn against god god knew in his providence he allowed but the question is this and that can you underline that and that not by bare permission not by bare permission what does it mean let's turn to this very important number number uh, sorry bare permission but such as hath joined with his most wise and powerful bounding all right number 16 16 is psalm 76 verse 10 let's turn to psalm 76 verse 10 psalm 76 verse 10 let's read psalm 76 verse 10 together please surely the wrath of men shall praise thee the remainder of wrath shall thou restrain now what does this mean now we like to read this verse surely the wrath of men shall praise thee right what does it mean is the beginning part now the wrath of men means the wickedness of men the anger of men the sins of men will end up praising god what does it mean now the the sinful wrath of the romans the jews does it praise god that they crucified christ this wrath of men does it end up in the praise of god does it 
Julia, does it? That's the wicked wrath, the sinful acts of these Jews and, and the Romans. Does it praise God in the end? You don't know. All right, because you say the wrath of men will praise God. Ben, do you think it praises God? How? How does it praise God? The final outcome praises God, right? The final outcome. Now, how does it praise God? It praises God. Now, the wrath, the wickedness of men being done to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, did God intervene to stop it? Now, if you have a son, right? your son goes to school, your son is bullied terribly. They kick your son, they beat up your son, they rip off his clothes, they whip him. Eugene, what would you do? Immediately do something, right? Did God do something? Did God send thunder and lightning down to earth and wipe out all of them on the spot? He did not. Why? Why, Rachel? That Christ must die. But how does it praise God? Now, Eugene would have acted immediately because of his love for his son, right? Or his daughters. He would do something. That God did not do something. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. And he did not take it back at that point. Does it praise God? The wickedness of men? Yet the wickedness of men, what they did, yet it shows, it praises the love of God to save us. The wrath of men will always praise God. Well, that is the positive. But what about terrible things? Have you had occasions where someone does something very wicked to you? The wrath of men. And then in the end, it still work out. Trouble gets, the person gets in trouble. No matter what you do, in the end, God's justice, God's, God's uh, name will be vindicated. Maybe not in this life, but later, but some in this life, right? Someone just shared. Um, the neighbor came over, caused a lot of trouble. No, was working for her, caused a lot of trouble, went opposite, start a business to try and cause trouble and all that. In the end, everything went wrong for the person. The wrath of men, the person thought that by doing all this, I will get at this person. Opposite thing happened. The wrath of men will still praise God. Know that. Know that. But what about this thing? So you mean if someone wants to do something very terrible and all that, God does not step in at all? Now, God permits, right? God permitted. God permitted. But remember this verse. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. That is what the Westminster divines are trying to explain. Now, God permits something. God permits. All right? but yet not with bare permission. What is bare permission? Bare permission means God just totally let people run free and do what they want. It is not bare permission. Alright? And otherwise, or, sorry, it says, um, but such as have joined it with most wise and powerful bounding. God joins and bounds, controls this permissive will. He bounds it and controls it still. Understand that. It's not total run amok. Amok. Why will you pronounce that? Okay, go crazy. God still bounds it. That's why I say the remaining of wrath, He restrains. 
What it means is this. Actually, I ask you, can you think of an occasion where the devil wants to do something and then God gave permission? But Job, what did Job, right? Satan went to God and said, God, you know, your servant. And then God says, I permit you to do anything you want to him. Did God say anything and blank check? What did God say? He put a caveat. You cannot touch his soul. Right? Did, was Satan allowed to do a lot of things? Oh, a whole lot, you know. <laughs> whole lot. Take all the sons. Take all the animals. And he was very rich. Tons of animals. Take all his health. God permitted him to do a lot, but God bound it. God bound it. So don't think that when God permissive will means God will let evil men do everything. God still can bind it, control it. Okay? So in God's permissive will, we will be permitted to do what we want. But to a point where God will still bound it. God is sovereign. He's in control. Okay? Understand that. So if you're suffering, and the suffering is very bad, very unreasonable colleague, very difficult person, very terrible sickness, know that God sets a boundary. God knows what you can take. All right? He will not allow you to be <coughs> tempted above that which you are able. Know that when it's still happening, God still allows it for a reason. Okay? So now, that is what it means, so God still controls. Um, okay, and then, it says, for the governing them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends. Okay, so what is the end purpose of God's, God's provi- uh, providence? It is uh, for a holy end. Manifold dispensation means many ways. God uses many ways. At the end of it is for his own holy ends. His own holy ends. That is very humbling, my friend. Is God's own holy end. It is not your wonderful, blessed end. <laughs> okay? When you know, when you and I realize why God saved you and I, and not someone else, why did God save you to go to heaven? Why did God save you, choose you? Not because we are good, we know that, but because He has a holy end for your life. So he decides if you will be rich and famous or he decides whether you will be poor and miserable in this life where you have sickness and illnesses. But all is for a holy end. His purpose to be fulfilled. That's why the chief end of man is to achieve our purpose. No, to glorify God. He has a holy end. But know that because he is infinite in his goodness. That's why it begins, right? Point number four. Why does he want to call out the infinite goodness of God? Know that God's holy end is still infinitely good for you. Know that. Alright? So, but the question, next question is this. Uh, paragraph 4, I ask you, well, 4a, can you just quickly think of a good verse, a very famous verse? There is a good end. Romans 8.28, right? For all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to His purposes. That's why it's about His purposes, not our purpose. Okay? 
Can you please read that? I, I just want us to be very sure. We don't think that God's providence is always to make us healthy, wealthy, um, rich, have everything that we want. Let's read Romans 8.28 together. Let's read together, reading. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It is all things work together for good is very clearly bounded, clarified, according called, those who are called according to His purpose, the saved ones. The saved ones. It is always for a good purpose, God's purpose. So next, okay, so now the question is this. God permitted Satan to go and do terrible things to Job. God permitted the Romans to kill Jesus. Does not that make, I ask that, does not make God the author of sin? Does it make God the author of sin? Why not, Rachel? God is sinless, but God allowed Satan to do wicked things. And God allowed Satan to still do wicked things today. And God allowed men to kill Jesus. Isn't he then the author of sin? Originated from him. Why not? How do you explain? Because people ask that question, you know, when you go for evangelism. Why does God allow sickness and suffering in this world why does god allow children to be molested and women to be raped why does god allow isis to do all these things behead fathers why does god allow this god allowed he's the originator of sin god is the author of sin hmm? whenever you go evangelism you get that question right before i came back from singapore i got that question again from someone say if God allows all this he's not a good God he's a wicked God in other words he's an author of sin he's a wicked God so how do you answer that? oh did your colleague ask that before? ah so what did you answer him? I remember we had that conversation man is responsible for sin look at here it says point number four Yet so as the sinfulness, the third last line, yet, uh, second last line, page 252, yet so as the sinfulness thereof, that comes from God's permission, the sinfulness that comes from there, proceedeth only from the creature and not from God. The sinful acts of man proceeds from men, never from God. Men are fallen, depraved and sinful. God allows them to do what they want to do does not mean God is the originator of that sin. God did not, um, God did not force um, Judas to betray Christ. Judas betraying Christ was from his own lust, full greed in his heart for money. All right? Remember this statement. We read Point number two. Can you see point number two? Look at the second last line. He orders them to fall out. He orders God's, God orders His providence to fall out, to occur according to the nature of second causes. It's in the nature of Judas 
to be lustful for money and to betray Christ. It is in the sinful nature of men to do wicked things to others, to children. It is man's own wickedness. Understand that? And when God allows it, He permits it. When He permits it, He knows the nature of man. But in the end, His purposes will still be fulfilled. Understand that? God will still fulfill it. But it does not mean that God wants to use wicked ways to fulfill His purposes. Men will do wickedness by themselves anyway. Alright? But what about... Then why does God allow... children to be born without limbs or blind. Why, does God, why did God allow the tsunami that happened that killed thousands of people? Why? Remember when that happened? The head of the Church of England, he actually stated, and was quoted in newspaper, I cannot understand why God did this. I just cannot accept that God did this, that God allowed it. Mm. Because he did not do Westminster Confession of Faith. <laughs> he did not bother to do that. And he's supposed to be supposed to know that. Now, why, why, is, why would a baby be born blind? Because of sin. Because of sin. Not because of God. God intended that if Adam and Eve obeyed him perfectly, Every child that they born, they give birth to is perfect, right? It's only when they committed sin, sin became in them, then every child that is born into this world are sinners, and sin is the reason why there is sickness in this world. When God created Adam and Eve, there is no sickness. Sin causes sickness, sin causes death, sin causes all sorts of these things. So it is sin that brings all this suffering into this world, not God. Understand that. Why does God allow this thing to happen then? Remember, one was born. Um, why does God allow this? Why did God allow the tsunami? Why? Let me ask you this: Is hell worse or tsunami? Hell, right? Hell is unimaginable. You cannot begin even to imagine what it is to suffer in hell. The Bible tells us that God will allow many of these things to happen to cause people to know what they will face is going to be far worse than what they see in this world with the desire that they will wake up to understand that sin causes all these things and to understand that one day if they do not have Jesus Christ as their personal saviour they do not turn from their sins to God they will suffer a much worse fate than what they see with their eyes on earth Understand that. God allowed that also in His love, His providence, His kindness, that men would wake up. But it's about then why these people die. Remember, God foreknows all things, right? God foreknew those who die are people who would not accept Him, who will never accept Christ as their Savior. It's just how they die. They die in tsunami or they die old age, but they will die and they will end up in hell, right? It's just how they die. God already foreknew. But what about Christians that die in there? God's permissive will, that the Christian will go to heaven through this means. You must ask, why, why, must, why must God, why did God allow the, the apostles to be beheaded? 
because that is their glory, right? It's no different from a Christian dying in a tsunami and the apostles being persecuted and beheaded. Well, how come we never ask, God, why did you let Paul, uh, sorry, the, uh, whichever apostle be beheaded? That is God's will. That's all. All right, so God allows all things. God permits in his love also. In his love also. Okay, any questions thus far? I know it's difficult, it's heavy, but I hope you're understanding it. No questions? Is that the soup? Yeah? When, when, allow what? Allow, uh, allows, mm hmm. Okay, yes, point number five. All right, point number five, we'll cover that. So that's a good question. The question is, if God permits things, how do we know is it not because of our sin that God allowed it, right? Yep, okay, we'll cover that if I've, yep. Um, there was one thing that I want to say. Now, when God permits, now God is not always permitting everything. Eh? God is also controlling, governing, understand that. So I'm just talking about one aspect of God's permissive will. But God is always in control. Always controlling, always governing, always knowing, and in His foreknowledge, always providing, and in some cases, He permits certain things. Okay? Now, that is God's providence. Alright, so actually we come to point number five now. Now, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God... Let's read together. The wise, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. Okay, so what is this saying? I say the most wise, again, God's wisdom, righteous, always correct, always um, righteous, always just, and gracious God, very kind. Now, he oftentimes lived for a period where his own children to manifold temptations and corruption of his own heart. Now, here is the point that, um, that will answer Ilhua's question. How do we know? Now, sometimes God will permit the child to continue in his rebellious, sinful ways. God says, don't do this. Alright? And you keep doing it. You keep doing that sin. And at times, God will, in his providence, withhold withdraws and allow you to dabble and to play with the corruption of your heart. Right? Parents, you do that. <laughs> right? The kids keep saying, Daddy says, now don't, I told you, don't play with the fire. Don't play with the fire. Don't play with the kid wanting to play with the fire. And then you continue to play with the fire, you're going to hurt yourself. They still keep doing it. God tell you, don't sin that sin. You keep wanting that. And then, you let them go nearer. Okay? 
Then you let them stretch their hand to the fire. How many of you do that? <laughs> and then just when they get close enough, it's painful. It's, it hurts them. And then you pull their hand away so that they know, don't play with fire. Then they know it's painful. Right? Sometimes friends say, don't eat chili. Don't. It's very hot. Don't eat it. I want, I want, I want. Now try a bit. <laughs> then they scream. Then they know. What happens next time? You want chili? Do I? <laughs> you want to play fire? No, no, no. Right? So here, God in his wisdom, graciousness, sometimes we keep wanting our way. God will say, all right, you want it? I permit you. Then we learn our lessons. We get in trouble. And God will chastise us. God will punish us. Sometimes we do that. I tell you three times. The third time, actually we shouldn't do that, right? Three times. Why three times? Every time you say, you should stop. And I tell you, you do it, I will smack you. Right? I will cane you. Then when he does it, you have to cane, right? Because you love to take revenge on your kid. No, because you love your kid. So that they learn never again. Because recently we visited someone. The boy was climbing up, coming up, coming up. The wall, like Spider-Man. Oh, so high, I was like, he will fall off the cupboard. Then the grandma just say, I'm taking the cane. Wow, he come down really fast. <laughs> right? Is, was it good? It's good. The child may not think it's good, but it was good. He could have fallen down and hurt himself very badly. But the, mother, the grandmother said, I take cane. And then they respond. So sometimes God chastises us, then we remember. That's why I say, then we remember. Um, we remember. Discover a few, so few reasons why God allows that. So yes, you're right, Yuhua. Sometimes it is sin. Sometimes God permits us to continue like that because of our sinful desire and our refusal to obey God. In those cases, we must know. So sometimes you fall sick, huh? you must ask, God, have I sinned against you? Now, I'm not saying every time you fall sick is sin. God does allow sickness for various reasons, but you must know, you ask, have I fallen into sin? God is this chastisement. Okay? So don't judge others, all right? Don't say, oh, you know, so and so sick, you know? I think God's providence is that God is punishing her. <laughs> we don't know. Okay, so now, so God will allow. Now, for what? For what? Number one, to chastise us that we will learn. Number two, to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts. To discover unto them means God wants you to know the, corruption, the strength of corruption and deceitfulness of your heart. God wants you to know that you are very corrupt. You are very sinful. When after we do those things and then God chastises us, then we really know that we should not be proud. Sometimes you think, I'm such a strong Christian. I'm such a good Christian. And then when we sin, then we realize in our heart, I'm actually such a filthy Christian. I'm actually such a filthy person. I'm actually such a vindictive person. I'm actually such a horrible, horrible sinner. God wants you to know. God knows, but God wants us to know. Then we become very ashamed. Okay? So that's the second reason. That, um, that they may be humble. It will humble us. It will humble us. God's providence is to humble us. In this case, when He chastises us, humble us. The next time, you won't be so proud. The next time, you won't go back to that sin. And like some, some Christians, well, I hope, really, the pastor in Singapore that took 
millions of dollars from the church to funnel, to channel to his wife's um, music career. Well, sometimes you do these things, your heart convicts you, and then you harden it, and then you keep doing it. God will allow you, allow you, allow you, to the point where it will eventually be exposed. I hope this will humble him. I mean, we don't say this with the vindictiveness or anything. I hope this will cause him to realize that God has chastised me. I must turn back to him, repent, confess. Now, that is what God wants. That's it. That's it. For the sinner, for the Christian to confess, repent, to humble us, go back humbly to God, but not deny. If we keep denying and denying, I mean, whatever you're going through is maybe you're committing some secret sin that no one knows of at work, at home, personal life. If you keep doing it and doing it, God will say, all right, I'm going to let you have it, but one day I'm going to humble you. And after you're humbled, you will remember. Okay, that's why he says here, to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin. God in his providence allows that, out of love. And he also, another reason why God allows it is to, to cross our, cause us to have constant dependence for support from him, to be dependent on him. Okay, so these are some reasons why God allows it. Now next. Okay, may, uh, before I forget, there's one very important um, thing in, verse, in paragraph 4. Now, I asked you in the beginning, can you think on, of, of an occasion in the Bible where it was really a terrible thing for a person's life? Betrayed, bullied, they wanted to kill them, kill him, and then in the end of his life, he's, he made a statement. Who? Someone said. Joseph, right? Joseph. Now, the brothers wanted to kill him. They were jealous of him, envious of him, and they wanted him out of their faces. They wanted to kill him. They didn't manage to kill him, or they changed their mind. At least one brother did. And then they sold him as a slave. Fun to be a slave? No. Taken away from family at a, very, at a young teenage age, sold to, to be a slave in a foreign country, live like a slave. And then, while during his life, often, he did not commit adultery. Potiphar's wife accused him of adultery, thrown into prison, stay in prison many years. You want such a life? Very, very um, unfair, unjust. But at the end of his life, what did he say? All right, you look at point number four, reference number 17. Genesis 50 verse 20. Learn to memorize this phrase. Genesis 50 verse 20. Genesis 50 verse 20 okay shall we read together Genesis 50 verse 20 let's read but as for you you thought evil against me but God meant it unto good and to bring to pass as is this day to save much people alive you meant it you meant evil towards me all right, you have evil intentions, brothers. You have evil intentions against me, and you did evil things against me. But look at the theology of Joseph. Have this theology in your life. God, God, not luck. God meant it. Meant means God intended, God purpose. God meant it 
unto good. To bring to pass means to fulfill, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Because God, bring it, God brought Joseph into Egypt, as a result, he saved his family, right? They came to Egypt, they were taken care of. Now, what happened if the 12 of them did not survive the global hunger, the global um, famine? What would happen? No what? No Israel. All 12 dead. No tribe. All gone. No. Israel means no what? No saviour from Israel. No Jesus. No Jesus. No salvation. In this case, it was just at that point. Saved many people. The, world peop the people around the world benefited from Joseph being in Egypt. Right? They came to buy grains from him. So this is God's providence. Sometimes we don't understand. But this was a case was not Joseph's sin. Huh? Nothing to do with point number five. I just want us to realize that this is the occasion. Alright, so now, point number six. Quickly and then, oh, it's 9.30. I just want to quickly cover this two and then we're done. Point number six, let's read together. As for those wicked and ungodly men, whom God has a righteous judge for former sins, that blind and harden, from them he is not only withholdeth his grace, whereby they might have been enlightened in their understandings and wrought upon in their hearts, but sometimes also withdraweth the gifts which they had, and exposeth them to such objects as their corruption makes occasion of sin, and withal gives them over to their lusts and temptation of the world, and the power of Satan, whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves, even under those means which God useth for softening others. Okay, what is this saying? It simply means this. God, now, so point number five is about believers, understand? Point number five is why. You write down why. It's about believers. Point number six is about why regarding unbelievers. Now, the Bible has on many occasions talked about God hardening the hearts of men. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Okay? And what does it mean when you read? Anita, do you remember? God says, I harden the heart of Pharaoh. Alright? It sounds like, oh, does God come in harden the heart? Wait, hey, hang on. If God comes in and hardens someone's heart, then it's not fair, right? That they don't get saved. So they don't understand what Scriptures is saying. Now, what does it mean when God hardens someone's heart? Here it says, um, well, at least we read the passage about, about Pharaoh is this. When God hardens someone's heart, it, it is not saying that God go in and harden the person's heart. It means that the more God is working to show them, to turn them to Him, the, the more they sit and they refuse to accept God, they are hardening their own hearts. Understand that? The best explanation is, you circle in point number 23, Matthew 13. Please read Matthew 13. Who hardens the heart? That's why I asked you that question. Who hardens the heart? Matthew 13, verse 12. Matthew 13, verse 12. Now, okay, let's read together. Verse 13. Therefore speak I to them. Verse, verse 12, sorry. Um, no. Verse, let's read verse 14 and 15 together. Matthew 13, 14 and 15 together. 
And in them it is fulfilled that the prophecy of Isaiah which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have shut close, lest that any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now, here God is very clear. Who shut the eyes? Is it God? Who shut? It says, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they shut. They themselves shut their ears and eyes, not God. God showed more miracles, God showed more truth. They say, we don't want to hear. Isn't it true? When the people showed them the truth about Jesus, when the, when the Pharisees really know this is God and they still want to crucify him, remember? They said, don't, we don't want to hear this anymore. They shut their ears and they ran out. They knew this is God. They don't want to hear because they don't want to lose their position. So their eyes have they shut. It's they themselves. Please understand, God does not harden. But why does the Bible say God hardens then? Why does the Bible say God's hardened? God, the Bible says God's hardened because God said, I will do more. And the more I do, the more they harden. So is God, in that sense, hardening their hearts? Yes. Every time God do, their heart gets more hardened. So God said, I will keep doing, hoping that they repent, but they will not. And they keep hardening their hearts. Okay, so that is what it means. Understand that. Are you clear? Ken? Alright, if you don't, ask me at the end. Now, so that is what there is. And there also it says, God will allow sinners to go to their own sin and, and live in their own lust. At one point, God will withdraw the homosexuals, their love for each other. You read in there, uh, point number 24. The homosexuals, men lusting after men, women after women, there will come a point of time God will give, up, give them up to their own lust. God will keep working in their hearts, but they keep rejecting and they will burn in their own lust. That's what the Bible says, burn in their own lust. All right, to keep committing sins that God says is unnatural. God will leave them to their own lust. Point number seven, the last one. All right, number seven. As the providence of God doth in general reach all creatures. So I ask you, the providence of God, is it to believers only? No. The providence of God is in believers and unbelievers' life. Okay, remember that. So far as most special, um, so far as after a most special, it taketh special manner, it taketh care of his church and disposes all things to the good thereof. God has a special providence for his church. Remember that. God's providence reaches to good and evil, reaches to believers and unbelievers. But when it comes to the church, all right, you look in First Timothy. 4.10 and all that, all the verses there. God has a special providence for His church. He will take care of His church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? So, this is the providence of God. Now, can you please spare me five minutes because I want to clarify this once and for all. Number eight. What is the difference between God's sovereignty, God's decrease and God's providence? Can you tell the difference now? Because I always hear Christian talk. Oh, God's providence. When he's talking about God's sovereignty, they're all God's sovereignty. When he's talking about God's providence or um, God's decree, it's very confusing. So what is God's sovereignty? Those of you who did the book of Ezra, what is God's sovereignty? It refers to God's... Say again. He, um, God's sovereignty, yes, he is ruler. He is absolute controller. God's sovereign. God is sovereign. 
God's sovereignty refers to God's position. Understand that? God's position. God is sovereign. No one can question Him. He decides all things. He answers to no man. What about God's decrees? God decreases God's decisions. As a sovereign, He decides. Okay? And then what is God's providence? By now, you should know. How does God achieve His decrees? Through His providence. Okay? So don't mix up these two. God achieves His decree as a sovereign God through His providence. Understand that? I hope it's clear in your mind. Now the last one. How would you summarize God's providence if asked? How would you summarize God's providence if asked? Based on all this, God's providence is God is always in control. And He is still on the throne. And He is still working. God is always in control. Nothing is outside His providence. The smallest to the biggest things. He is always on the throne, means He's sovereign. Sovereignly providing. And He's always working. Always. That's a very comforting thing. God will always be working in your life. Just that don't look for your end. Look for God's end. God's holy end. Alright, so I think that is a summary of all this. And I just close by saying this. The word providence comes from the Latin word provi. Um, it's two words that make up God. Pro is forward. Videnze comes from like video. God foresight. God's God's foresight. God already knows the future. And therefore, He provides according to His knowledge of the future, which is infallible. Providence, right? So God's providence. Okay, so if I'm sure there are questions, if you have any, um, you can stay back and ask or we can ask at the next session. Let us close in prayer.